Hello, everyone. I'm Jason Wolf, and this is How to Be Like Jesus, Episode 4, Creationism According to Jesus. And spoiler alert, Jesus is a young earth creationist, and that's what we're going to be talking about in this episode. <clears throat> now, uh, this is the fourth episode of my show, How to Be Like Jesus. It's a show about, as is hopefully, hopefully you can figure this out from the title. It's about how to be like Jesus. And I've got three other episodes. They are, you can find them wherever it is that you found this episode. And this is the first episode that is also a YouTube video that is actually a video. You can actually see me. Not that I recommend that necessarily, but it's it it's true. You, it's an actual an actual video format because I've taken the previous three episodes and also put them on YouTube, but it's just a picture of the logo for the show. There is no actual video component. Uh, but this is the first one where there is just the audio, which you can find on Spotify and other places. And there is also the video, which is on YouTube, which you either already know that you're either watching it right now or not, in which case I want to you know, state this plainly so people that are just listening to it somewhere know that there's <clears throat> a uh, video version of the show. And I don't know that, um, you know, I'm necessarily going to have video for every forthcoming episode or not. Um, so we'll see what happens. There might be, there pro probably will be uh, later episodes that will only be audio. I don't know. We'll, we'll see what happens. And, um, the uh, YouTube channel is just my name, Jason Wolf with, and Wolf has an E at the end, which, you know, if you're listening to this on like Spotify or something, you should be able to see how my name is spelled. That's just the channel. It's not, the channel isn't how to be like Jesus or something like that. It's just me. And one of the reasons for that is I intend on putting other kinds of videos on the channel that are not episodes of this show. So I'm going to have them all together in the same channel. And I want to put put this content also on one of the, um, you know, free speech YouTube alternatives, but I haven't decided which one. So once I figure it out, if it's gonna be on Rumble or Odyssey or BitChute or whatever, I will let everybody know where where the show is, you know, which, which one of those places I put it as well, because I, you know, I want to have a way that I can keep my content, you know, preserved and not go mysteriously, you know, missing because, you know, I, I said a no-no word in an episode or something and get punished by our uh, tech overlords. And so I wanted to update everyone on that. <clears throat> and so anyway, let's, let's uh, dive into the topic of this episode. Creationism according to Jesus. As I said, this is about Jesus being a young creationist and Jesus clearly preached a view on creationism, he talked about creation in such a way that it is really only compatible with young earth creationism, not the different varieties of old earth creationism or theistic evolution, okay? And we touched on this in the last episode. If you listen to that episode three, How to Read the Bible Like Jesus, we went over this passage in passing. I was making a point about, you know, the way Jesus interpreted the Bible as you're looking for the principle behind the precept or looking for the the spirit behind the letter of what's written there and I was explaining this concept and I talked about this passage in order to illustrate this and illustrate how to understand the law that in God's law he is kind of condescending toward us in our sinful condition and that God's law is not just 100% his perfect standard that we are somehow expected to meet through our efforts that that is not the proper way to understand the law but in in God's law he compromises towards us and we see that a perfect example for of that in the way uh God deals with marriage and divorce and Jesus explains that and articulates that here in Mark 10 that's where we're we're looking and Again, you'll have to listen to the previous episode to learn more about that if you haven't done so already, because I'm not going to repeat that same kind of content. But we're going to look at that same passage. And the reason we're talking about this today in this episode is because of the fact that we went over that passage last time. And I wanted to go over this at some point. I wasn't going to do it right away, you know, right back to back. Let's talk about Mark 10 again. But, you know, I figured, okay. 
we talked about this passage. I made the point that Jesus is teaching on creationism, which I'm sure will ruffle somebody's feathers that listens to the show. And so I figured, hey, I might as well spend some time there and just dive into this passage and show why I think that's the case. And so let's just look at this passage and talk about what Jesus says and what I think it has to mean if we're going to take what he says seriously and try to honestly understand what does Jesus mean by this and not just try to force him to fit within a different paradigm that we have that isn't even based in the Bible, okay? So let's just look at this. And let's just start at verse one so we get the context. And so Mark 10, one, it says, and he arose from thence and, and cometh into the coast of Judea by the farther side of Jordan. And the people resorted unto him again. And as he was wont, he taught them again. And the Pharisees came to him and asked him, is it lawful for a man to, to put away his wife, tempting him? And he answered and said unto them, what did Moses command you? And they said, Moses suffered to write a bill of divorcement and to put her away. And Jesus answered and said unto them, for the hardness of your heart, he wrote you this precept. But from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. And for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. <clears throat> and keep going. And, and, and they twain shall be one flesh. So then they are no more twain, but one flesh. And then he goes on from there. I think that's enough of the, the context. Um, so if we, we get the context here, he's, he's preaching to people. The Pharisees are doing what the Pharisees always did. They are trying to trap him with a, with a gotcha question. You know, um, the, we should all, with the way our, our, our wonderful truth-telling, unbiased media is today, we're all familiar with this kind of tactic, of course. And so the Pharisees are trying to catch him in this gotcha question, as the Pharisees like to do, as well as the Sadducees, right? Remember their famous question of, oh, this woman this woman was married to these seven different guys. And so, you know, who's she going to be married to in the resurrection? Oh, you know, trying to, trying to give them a reductio ad absurdum to try to prove that there can't be a resurrection because the Sadducees deny the resurrection. That was their big gotcha question that made them look like doofuses, you know, for the past 2000 years now, you know, that, that, that was their contribution that we can all laugh at, at, at them. That was, that was the, the, the Sadducees big gotcha question. How'd that work out for them? And this is one of the Pharisees gotcha questions of, Oh, well, is it lawful for a man to put away his wife? And they're tempting him because, you know, they're trying to make him look stupid to the crowd of people he's preaching to. They're trying to undermine his ministry and make it so people aren't following him, you know, by making him say something, you know, is blasphemous or unlawful or whatever. <clears throat> trying to make him look bad. And, of course, that's impossible to do because he's God. You know, he, he wrote the law. He's not going to misinterpret it. Or say something dumb about it, okay? And so that's what's happening. That's that's why they're asking this question. They're asking a question about divorce. And of course, using basically the Socratic method here, Jesus poses to them the question of, well, what did Moses command you? And of course, then they say, well, Moses suffered the right to build divorcement. And of course, in this context, suffered doesn't mean like, like what we might think today of suffered of like, oh, I, I, you know, I'm in pain or, or you know, I'm something like that the suffered is he he allowed them to do it okay is what this means he allowed them to get divorced is what they're saying so and then jesus and of course here's where we get the principle behind the precept where he, or this is where we get that god's law is clearly not a reflection of his perfect nature but god is condescending to people's sinfulness and kind of compromising or watering down his perfect moral standard in the law the law is not a perfect reflection of God's perfect moral standard because Jesus it says verse five and Jesus the answer said to them for the hardness of your heart he wrote you this precept so he is he allowed God allowed the Israelites to get divorced in the old testament because of the hardness of the heart he knew they wouldn't be able to handle the way it was for Adam and Eve where they where the two became one flesh and as he explains later that what God is joined together that no man break asunder or however he phrases it not, i'm not looking at it right now um you know whatever god puts together man is should not be able to break that apart and when you get married the two become one that is what that is the original intention behind marriage so if god went with his actual perfect moral standard of you god puts these people together because marriage is a religious institution and not not an institution 
uh, you know, primarily from the state, but from God, okay? So when God combines these two people together, the two become one, they're not supposed to be separated by man because God put them together. That is God's perfect moral standard. But because he knows that would be intolerable for the Israelites to have no way to get divorced at all, he compromises his perfect moral standard and allows them a way to get a divorce. So that is clearly articulated here by Jesus in verse five. But then we get to what we want to talk about here today, again, to hear more about the, the other aspects of this passage that I touched on in how to read the Bible like Jesus, that episode. Um, what we're going to talk about today is where he says, but from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. What does that say? Just what, just look at it. Look at these words. What do these words say? From the beginning, the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. What is that? So if you were just reading this, let's pretend you're a child or something, and you've never heard of the Big Bang and evolution, the idea that the universe has existed for well over 13 billion years before human beings came on the scene, you know, on earth. You didn't know about any of this. You just have the Bible, you read Genesis, you see Adam and Eve being created, obviously within a couple of days of God creating everything. And then you <clears throat> are reading through the gospels, you come to Mark 10, six, and it clearly says from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. What are you going to think? You're not going to think that this is compatible with the idea that human beings were created very, very recently towards the end of the history of God's creation, you would think they were created probably like Gen what Genesis says, within the first couple of days of God's creation, they're created in the beginning of the creation. And there's no reason, biblically speaking, to think that Adam and Eve were created much, much later on at the end of God's creation, which is what you would have to believe if you believe in of the Big Bang and evolution and are trying to make that compatible with the Bible. And so the only, really the only way what Jesus says here at face value makes sense is within a young with creationist reading of scripture. Because if you, like I just said, with, if you are, you believe in theistic evolution, you believe in that and, you know, the Big Bang and all of that, human beings, think of the way um, a lot of people who, you know, try to explain this just in, you know, a secular context, they try to explain when did human beings come about? in relation to when the Big Bang happened and everything, you know, <clears throat> uh, the, the universe expanded and everything came into existence, supposedly, they will use a 24-hour day as, you know, a, a metaphor or an analogy to explain this. And they will explain, okay, the Big Bang happens at midnight, right? That's the beginning of the day at midnight. That's when the universe begins. That's when the Big Bang, Big Bang happens at midnight. And then, of course, we're going around to 1159 when that day will end, right? And human beings do not come around in the universe until within that last minute of that 1159 minute, right before the day will end, right? Right, right here at the end of history, from this where we are in history is when it will strike midnight again, right? And it's in that last minute of 1159 when human beings came about according to the secular scientific views of the Big Bang evolution. That is clearly the end of God's creation, not the beginning of God's creation. So that view is not compatible with Jesus' statement from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. Now, if you hold to an old earth creationist view, those views are also not compatible. Think about it. The day-age theory that says that the days <clears throat> of creation represent these long ages that last for millions, hundreds of millions, billions of years, you know, are the lengths of these different ages. And then finally Adam and Eve get created. Well, that's not the beginning of creation either because creation has been going on for millions and millions and billions of years before human beings came around, according to that understanding of the days of creation. Okay, so that's also not compatible. Gap theory, same thing. God created everything. There are these, this other civilization already living on the earth called the pre-Adamites. All right, if you're not familiar with this, this is my summary of the gap theory. There's these pre-Adamites, okay? A group of people, civilization that lived on the earth before Adam. That's why they're called the pre-Adamites. And that this all happened literally in between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2 is what they claim. And then these people sinned. God wiped them all out, killed off this whole civilization. So there was a 
some God did something here to punish these people. Again, this is way before the 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 global flood of the story of Noah. This is way way before that. There's this different group of people that lived that that were sinful. God wipes them out. Then He recreates humanity. That's when He creates Adam and Eve, and then they replenish the earth, which they wrongly interpret as meaning, oh, that means that you know because they're replenishing it. That means that there is a civilization that lived before and then Adam and Eve are replenishing the earth after that civilization got wiped out because they don't understand that's not actually what that word means. For example, when the King James Bible says replenish, it does not imply that there is a different civilization that existed before. They don't, they don't understand that it, it literally just means to fill. It doesn't mean to fill again the way the gap theorists interpret it. But that is their view. Well, what does that mean? That means, and I don't know how long they necessarily think that creation was going on before God wiped out these pre-Adamites and then created Adam and Eve. But people like Charles Hodge, for example, who was a gap theorist, talked about how he believed this because he thought that this could explain the fossils and this different stuff people were discovering with geology. And so presumably people that believe that now, okay, the and, and people, yes, there are still people today who hold to the gap theory, Presumably they would think, you know, if, if they think that the gap theory explains the geologic record, the geologic columns and all these fossils, then they must think that 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 God God's creation was going on and on for hundreds of millions and possibly billions of years, right? Before uh, God would have wiped these people out and created Adam and Eve. So once again, when that view, Adam and Eve were not created at the beginning of creation, the only view that has Adam and Eve being created at the beginning of creation is the young earth creationist view because we take the days as a straightforward way as literal 24 hour days. And when you do that, Adam and Eve were created there within that in the first week of God's creation. Now God's creation is going on for roughly another 6,000 or so years. And they were created right within the first couple of days. Then obviously that is the beginning of the creation. And that is the only view that makes sense of what Jesus says here in this verse. And so <clears throat> what, what I am doing here, what I'm explaining, and I want you to understand the difference here. There's a different, there's these concepts of exegesis and, and eisegesis. Exegesis just means you are reading your idea, because we're all interpreting the Bible and go, okay, what does this mean? You're coming up with doctrine, which means teaching. That's all the word doctrine means. You're coming up with ideas of what is this saying? What does this mean? And you're taking all these passages, putting them together, trying to get an understanding of what does the Bible say? What does the Bible teach? And when you're doing that, when you're reading the Bible, you're doing, you want to be doing exegesis, meaning you're understanding the beliefs you have, the ideas you have about what the Bible teaches are coming out of the text, are coming out of what the Bible is saying. That Think of exit. Right when you exit, you are leaving. You're going out from somewhere. To do exegesis is to, and it's not spelled like Jesus. Okay, it's X E. No, it doesn't start with X. It's E X E G E S I S. I, I I'm terrible at spelling off the top of my head. I've I've never had to participate in a spelling bee. So, but the point is, it's not Jesus like Jesus Christ. Exegesis. Anyway, so exegesis is you're taking your ideas out from the text, just like when you exit a room, you are going out of that room. Eisegesis, on the other hand, is you're taking an idea that is foreign to the text. It is not what that text is saying. It is not what that text is trying to communicate to you. It's not an idea that's actually found in the text. You are taking out of it. That would be exegesis. Eisegesis is you're taking a foreign idea that you have come up with or you got it from someplace else and you are trying to impose that onto the text. You're trying to force some other idea on to the text, that is eisegesis. That is what you don't want to do because then you're not really trying to interpret the Bible and understand what it means. And this would apply to any kind of book, what, what I just described here. But obviously here we're talking about the Bible and we're talking about the word of God. So we want to understand this uh, properly. Uh, when you're doing eisegesis, you really don't want to be doing that because that means you're taking man's ideas, not God's ideas. You're taking man's ideas that you're either coming up with or you're getting from some other source like, oh, gee, I don't know, secular science or maybe, and forcing that, imposing that onto the Bible to try to make the Bible say this idea, this belief that it's not actually saying, okay? 
So that's what you don't want to do. You want to do exegesis. You want to take the ideas out of the text. The, the ideas of the text are actually trying to communicate. You are just drawing them out of the text by reading it correctly, okay? That's what you're trying to do. So as Christians, we're interpreting the Bible, we're reading the Bible. We are always trying to do exegesis. We are always trying to avoid eisegesis. And of course, there's different methods of reading the Bible. It's called hermeneutics. And the Bible uses figures of speech, symbols, Books, different books of the Bible are written in different genres. It's not necessarily, you know, it, something that's just easy to do. But this is what we're all trying to do. We're all trying to read the Bible correctly by taking the ideas out of the Bible, not taking other ideas that don't come from the Bible and force them into the Bible, okay? So, and the reason I explain that, I, a lot of people I know are familiar with that. A lot of people, a lot of Christians are not familiar with what I just said, so it's important to explain it. But what, so what, what I am doing here is just basic eisegesis. <laughs> oh, great. Great. People are going to use that. No, basic exegesis. Yes. Everyone who disagrees with me is going to go, oh, Freudian slip. Ah, oh, see, he admitted it. No, it is basic exegesis. I am literally just telling you what Jesus said, taking it at face value, explaining how that fits with a certain reading of the book of Genesis which I believe is a correct, straightforward reading of Genesis, and just explaining, look, what Jesus says, take it at face value, it lines up perfectly with what I believe is a correct, just face value reading of Genesis, and the Bible, you know, it, it, it goes together, it makes perfect sense, it's, it's exegesis, it's taking what Jesus is saying, the idea that he's communicating, what idea did Jesus communicate in Mark 10, 6, he's communicating the idea that God created Adam and Eve, it, from the beginning of the creation. That's what he said. If he meant something else, he could have easily said that something else, but he didn't say something else. He said these words here, but from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. And so the most straightforward way of understanding it, taking the idea that Jesus communicated, drawing it out of the text, is simply that God created Adam and Eve at the beginning of the creation that only lines up with young earth creationism. That's the only hypothesis, if you will, the only doctrine that even has that as an idea that that's even compatible with. Therefore, Jesus must be a young earth creationist because what he plainly states is only compatible with one view of creationism, young earth creationism. And so logically, Jesus must be a young earth creationist. Okay, that's exegesis. That is taking the idea that Jesus is communicating. It's plainly stated right there in the Gospel of Mark. And I'm just taking it out of the text and going, okay, young earth creationism. That's what Jesus believes because it's right there, plain as day in the text. Now, if you are looking at this and you believe something else and you're reading this verse and going, oh, no, that, that can't be what Jesus means because that's the wrong way to understand Genesis. And, oh, a day, you know, a day is as a thousand years or whatever, whatever your interpretation. Um, you have to explain what does Jesus mean if he doesn't mean what those words would plainly suggest, which is God created Adam even being in creation. What else would Jesus possibly mean? And so let's look at the different, because if you can't explain that, then, I mean, <laughs> then how are you going to claim that what Jesus is preaching is compatible with your view of creation? So there's, there's, there's ways people have come up with trying to get around this. So people will, will claim that, well, he's talking about the creation of the institution of marriage is what a lot of people will argue. And there's a parallel passages in Matthew where Jesus does not say from the beginning of the creation, he just says if i remember correctly but from the beginning god made the male and female it doesn't say of the creation and so michael jones for example who runs the channel inspiring philosophy and he has a lot of videos on evolution where he attempts to articulate his views of theistic evolution attempts to make evolution compatible with the bible in one of those videos it might be the first one he ever made on that topic i'm not sure uh which video it is i know it's in one of them he talks about this and actually talks about the passage from matthew and makes the argument that God um, is just, or that Jesus here is just, of course, Jesus is God. Uh, <laughs> so don't, don't take that out of context either. But that Jesus is, um, talk, he's just talking about God, he's just talking about God creating Adam and Eve at the beginning of the institution of marriage, not all of creation. And he completely 
ignores the parallel passage here in the Gospel of Mark where Jesus clearly says the subject matter he's addressing, which is the creation. But from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. He's not talking about marriage. He's talking about the creation. He's talking about everything. And yet Michael Jones will just refer to that Matthew passage and say, oh, when he says he made them from the beginning, male and female, he's just talking about from the beginning of marriage. Now, that's still just a silly argument because let's pretend the Mark passage doesn't exist and we're just dealing with the Matthew passage that doesn't say the creation. is just from the beginning, God made them male and female. Okay. Well, let's say, all right, well, that's talking about the beginning of the institution of marriage. Okay, well, when did the beginning of the institution of marriage, you know, start? When, when did that start? Well, it started when God created Adam and Eve because they got married. Okay, well, when did God create them? Oh, yeah, within a couple of days of the creation. Oh, so when did the institution of marriage start? At the beginning of creation. So it doesn't really help you because it's implied. It's still being implied that this is all happening at the beginning of the history of the creation, because the only way to think that this is happening billions of years into the history of creation is to take an idea that the scripture is not communicating, that billions of years have gone by, and imposing that into the text. That's eisegesis, like we talked about. If we just do exegesis, it's very clear that he's talking about the beginning of the creation, because that's when Adam and Eve were created and got married. But we don't even need to make that more elaborate, I suppose, argument from Matthew, because Mark, in the parallel passage in Mark, he makes it explicit by quoting Jesus saying, from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. So we know he's not just talking about the institution of marriage, which supposedly could have taken place billions and billions of years into the history of God's creation when he made Adam and Eve. No, no, no. He's talking about creating Adam and Eve and says that he made them at the beginning of the creation. So we know that he's articulating a young earth creationist view, and we know that he's addressing specifically the whole history of God's creation, not simply when he started the institution of marriage. So that attempt at interpretation completely falls apart, and you cannot try to claim that in Mark, Jesus is just talking about the creation of marriage. He clearly says from the beginning of the creation, he's referring to God's whole creation, not simply the institution of marriage. So no, sorry, Michael Jones, your interpretation doesn't work. That is not going to make what Jesus said compatible with evolution because he's clearly not simply talking about the institution of marriage. He's talking about the whole creation and that Adam and Eve were created at the beginning of that creation. And so another way that people address this is they try to act like, well, Jesus was just uh, kind of condescending to what people in that time believed, but he didn't actually believe it. Like when he's saying, well, from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. Oh, well, yeah, they believe that Adam and Eve were created, you know, the Jews and whatever he's addressing, they believed that God created Adam and Eve at the beginning of creation. But that's not what, because of course, Jesus knows that he used evolution to create everything, to create all life on earth and everything, supposedly. So because Jesus knows he used evolution, you know, he knows what he's saying isn't really true. But since his audience believes that, you know, he, he, he says it that way in a way that they would accept as what they believe, but he doesn't actually believe it. Okay, now we're doing this weird psychoanalysis on Jesus and trying to claim that Jesus actually believed things that were completely different. And in fact, dare we say the opposite of stuff that he was actually saying, what kind of view of Jesus do we end up with? And we we're going to embrace a ridiculous belief like that. How do we then not have a Jesus that is just going around lying to people? I mean, if you're going to say something like that, and people will say this about all sorts of stuff that Jesus says about the story of Jonah, which Jesus affirms as real history. People that want to deny miracles or pretend that that never happened. Well, oh, well, Jesus is just referencing this as a, as a story, but he doesn't actually believe that happened. I mean, oh, come on. We all know that didn't happen. So Jesus, you know, he can't believe that that happened. Well, yeah, he does believe that happened because it did happen. And he clearly referenced it as an actual historical event. And so it's absurd to claim that, no, he's just using that as an example of the death, burial, resurrection, but he doesn't believe that actually happened. Well, what reason do we have to think that? There is no reason to think that. Oh, and Jesus references the writings of Moses. Of course, Jesus knows that Moses didn't actually write those books because we all know from the documentary hypothesis and whatever, we all know that, you know, those books weren't really written by some dude named Moses way back whenever. And so Jesus, of course, being God, 
knows this, but when he addresses the writings of Moses, whatever, it's just because the, the Jews back then, they thought that Moses wrote that and Jesus is just talking to no, folks. That makes Jesus a liar. God cannot lie. Jesus cannot be God and be going around lying to people because God can't lie. And so then we have to, if we apply that kind of thinking, now you have to become skeptical of all sorts of stuff Jesus says. Now you're going, what did Jesus say that I can actually believe? And what did he say that he was just lying to people? And it also doesn't make any sense based on, he was constantly correcting their false beliefs. Read through the Sermon on the Mount, like the examples we looked at in the last episode, how to read the Bible like Jesus. We went through different examples from the Sermon on the Mount. Read through Matthew chapter five, where he's constantly telling them, you heard it said, but I tell you. And he's and, and so many times throughout the Gospels where he's taking their false man-made doctrines that are not scriptural, that they've just come up with and are trying to make people obey. And he's telling them how you've made the word of God of none effect and you're replacing, you're basically replacing the word of God with man's teachings, man's doctrines and trying to, trying to nullify the word of God with your own man-made doctrines. It's not as if Jesus is afraid to confront them and tell them when they're wrong about something. If Jesus thought, if Jesus believes evolution, because Jesus supposedly created everything through evolution, he would take this as an opportunity to be like, oh, okay, yeah. He would reference Adam and Eve and he would rebuke them for their false belief in the honor of creationism and actually being so silly to believe that God actually created Adam and Eve at the beginning of creation, you know, like Genesis says. He would rebuke them for believing that. Oh, yeah, you think that that's what happened? And then he would somehow explain, he would say something explaining how, no, there's actually been long ages, and no, Adam and Eve, actually, they're not a unique creation. They came from you know, other animals or something, he wouldn't use, I wouldn't expect him to talk about a common ancestor and like the way evolutionists today specifically talk, but he would say something that is compatible with that view. Okay, does that make sense? I, I hope everyone can follow what I'm saying. He would, if, if, if young creation is a false view, he would rebuke that view. If the Jews believed that and it was false, Jesus would address that, rebuke it, and he would articulate something that would be compatible with evolutionary belief today. He wouldn't use all the technical scientific jargon, obviously, but he would say something that's compatible with that view. If young with creationism was a false view and if Jesus didn't believe in it, okay? You see what I'm saying? But so if Jesus actually did that, then, hey, there you go. That would be powerful evidence that young with creationism is false and theistic evolution is true, that Jesus believed that. But of course, we don't see that. That is not what we see. We see the exact opposite. We see Jesus affirming and articulating and preaching a view of creation that is only compatible with young earth creationism and contradicts every other view of creation, including theistic evolution. And so no, that attempt at interpreting in that way doesn't make any sense. You're trying to make Jesus a liar. You're making it so that people can't really trust anything that Jesus says. You can't know, is he just lying to people? in order to appease them? Or is he actually preaching? Is this something they actually, did he preach that was actually true? I mean, think of the kind of skepticism that would generate when you're trying to understand what Jesus said. That's ridiculous. We cannot interpret Jesus in that way. So no, that will not work. Another thing that people do is they just kind of laugh it off and dismiss it and go, ha, oh, you're taking Jesus too literally. So for example, William Lane Craig, who originally wrote, or, or, I don't know why I said originally, who recently, is what I'm trying to say, he recently wrote a book on the historical Adam, and I forget exactly what it's called. The title is very similar to the title of a different book, so I don't want to uh, accidentally say the wrong thing, but you know, he recently wrote a book on this topic of the historical Adam, and of course he's trying to explain how there really was a historical Adam, but it's okay, everybody, it's compatible with evolution. And he was on the show Unbelievable, Justin Brierley. And, you know, this popular show that, you know, if you're a Christian, I hope you're familiar with this and, and, and listen to the show because it's a good show. And, you know, normally the show has people on with differing views. And the, the whole point is for people to kind of have an informal kind of debate and discussion when they hold different views. This episode, of course, was people who barely disagree with each other. It was William Lane Craig and Joshua Swamidas both of whom have books on the historical Adam, both of whom are trying to make the historical Adam um, compatible with evolutionary theory 
but they do so in slightly different ways from each other. And so here they are to talk to each other where they're pretty much just agreeing and patting each other on the back the whole time. I found that amusing because why not bring on a young with creationist perhaps who actually disagrees with William Lane Craig in a significant way and have a real lively debate on this subject. But no, let's just have someone on who almost completely agrees with William Lane Craig's view and have a discussion on the show. You see what I'm saying? It's just pointless to have done that. I find that quite amusing because normally the show actually has people on who disagree in significant ways. But anyway, on that show, on that episode, um, Justin Briley actually brought up this passage and good for him. I'm glad he did that. And asked William Lane Craig, well, what do you make of this verse where Jesus says, well, from the beginning of creation, God made the male and female. And William Lane Craig, obviously I'm paraphrasing, from my memory of listening to this, uh, he just basically laughs it off. He's like, oh, well, I mean, I mean, certainly if you, you, you can't interpret it that way. That's just taking Jesus too literally. That's, it's absurd to take him too liter that literally where, you know, he, he's saying that they actually were created at the beginning of creation. Well, why is that too literal? That's what he said. How is that too literal? So here's the thing. People can take what Jesus says, and not just Jesus, but anything in the Bible, you can take the Bible too literally. But here's the thing, you actually have to explain how. So people will often do it. William Lane Craig did that episode of just scoff, laugh at you, and just dismiss what you're saying. Oh, you're just taking that too literally. You can't do that. Ha ha ha, you're so stupid. But wait a minute. You need to actually do some work here to explain your interpretation and to defend this claim that us creationists are taking Jesus too literally here. So here's what you have to do. First of all, give your interpretation. Okay, if I'm taking Jesus too literally, that's not really what he that's not really what he meant. I'm taking him too literally. What did he mean then? These words mean something. He said these words. These are words. Obviously, he wasn't speaking English. Okay, I'm aware of this. But the, these words in you know Aramaic, whatever he was speaking. Um, the, uh, these equivalent words were spoken by Jesus, but from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. He spoke those words. Those words mean something. What do they mean? If you're going to say that, so because I've offered my interpretation, I've given my positive view of what those words mean. If I'm wrong and those words mean something, what do they mean? And if you cannot explain what they mean, then you can't really you can't really refute my interpretation with your interpretation because you're not offering an interpretation. And that's what Craig did in that episode. He didn't offer an interpretation. He just scoffed at the young earth creationist interpretation, but he didn't give his own. Oh, that's too literal. Okay, well, what did Jesus actually mean? I don't know. William Lane Craig wouldn't tell me. If William Lane Craig has the truth, if William Lane Craig knows what Jesus meant, then shame on him for not saying it and correcting fools like me who are going around preaching an obvious error because that's not what Jesus meant. Well, then tell me what he meant. He can't mean that, oh, he just created them at the beginning of the institution of marriage, but that was billions of years into the history of God's creation. He can't mean that or explain that. He can't mean that, oh, well, he doesn't really believe it, but he's just talking to the Jews and pretending to believe it because they believe it. Well, I don't think he can mean that for reasons already explained. What else could he mean? What is even another candidate of what he could possibly mean? And so, unless William Lane Craig or whoever would argue, whether you're taking it too literally, that's, that's too literal. You can't take him so literally. And unless that person can explain what they think he actually meant by those words, then that's just a meaningless objection because it means something. So if you can't tell me what he means, then I don't really want to hear your ooh, too literal. Explain what he means. If you can't explain what he means, and what I've said is the only interpretation that I think makes any sense, then I'm going with that. And the other thing to address here is because, like I said, people can take Jesus too literally. And as I emphasized in the last episode on how to read the Bible like Jesus, emphasize that it's important when we're reading the Bible to look for the spiritual meaning that the you know the spiritual truth that God is communicating behind simply just the 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 letters you know look, you're looking for the spirit of the law behind the letter of the law like Paul talks about and <clears throat> so with that being the case people will be like well you're just taking you're not understanding the spiritual truth you're just taking Jesus at face value you're just looking at the letters of what Jesus said not the spiritual meaning well folks sometimes those things are one and the same 
and it's not really hard to figure out what is the spiritual meaning behind the letters, uh, the letter of what's written or whatever. And sometimes those things are one and the same. For example, I think Young's creationism is a spiritual truth. Why? Because only Bible-believing Christians will believe it. Even when you have other people out there that are skeptical of evolution, say Michael Denton, um, David Berlinski, you know, these other people out there that um, become, you know, they, they like intelligent design, they become skeptical of evolution or whatever. Are they young earth creationists? No. You have people out there that are agnostic or whatever, or people, you know, they, 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 ha they have certain problems with evolution or pro uh, skeptical of the Big Bang and, and these kinds of things. Do they, do they go, oh, and therefore now I, I believe that everything was created roughly 6,000 years ago in 600 days. And do they, believe, do they believe that? Do they believe that human beings, you know, lived at the same time as dinosaurs and these other prehistoric animals that don't exist anymore? Do they believe things like that? No, of course not. They would still laugh and scoff at that and go, well, that's absurd. Obviously, I don't believe that. Why? Because this is something that only someone who is a Christian and that believes the testimony of scripture, that believes what God has revealed in scripture, you know, creationism can only be believed by someone who is a Christian and takes the Bible seriously and is trying to believe what the Bible says. Now, again, you can still argue that you think that's the wrong understanding. And obviously if that's what you think, that's what you think. But you see what I'm saying? Where a non-Christian, uh, so someone who is just being a, a skeptic and, and trying to look look at the you know look at evolution and skeptical way or whatever there or even someone that thinks that there there's good evidence for a designer or whatever like someone who reads you know michael behe and stephen meyer people like that they're still not coming away believing in young creation because young creation is, is a spiritual truth i believe is what it is what the bible is communicating it's a spiritual truth that we believe because we're christians and we love god and we love the bible and we take the bible seriously and are trying to understand it correctly that's how we've come to this belief it is a spiritual truth. So it's not simply like, oh, well, you just take Genesis at face value. You got to look for the spiritual truth that's deeper in that, man, which of course there are all sorts of beautiful spiritual truths in the creation account where you've got the different members of the Trinity doing things. And there's, there's all sorts of spiritual truth in that. But at the same time, it is communicating something at face value. And I believe that's the young earth creationist view. There is spiritual truth. The spiritual truth behind Mark 10, 6, of what Jesus said is just the spiritual truth that young creationism is the true doctrine that the Bible teaches. And it's the plain letter of what Jesus said, because there is no other way to understand and to interpret what he means when he says from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. That is the plain meaning of what those words mean. And it's a spiritual truth that I only accept because I accept the Bible's testimony. So it's both things. And so it, there's not a conflict. It's, oh, well, you're taking it too literally because you're ignoring the spiritual truth behind what he said in Mark 10, 6. What spiritual truth other than young creationism is he communicating? It's both. It is both the plain meaning of what those words mean and a spiritual biblical doctrine that only Christians would be willing to accept. It's both of those things. Okay. Now, the other thing is, like I was talking about people interpreting Jesus too literally, let's think about how people interpret Jesus too literally. And this will be a later episode where we talk about, we go over the examples of people interpreting Jesus too literally and look at how they do it. So we know what not to do. And we know how to avoid doing that. But just think about Nicodemus, right? John chapter three, read it on your own time. Um, we're not going to look at it right now, but the story, you know, where Jesus is talking to Nicodemus at night, Nicodemus is a Pharisee, he goes to Jesus at night because he wants to learn from him secretly without people knowing that he's going to learn from Jesus. And and um, Jesus is talking to him about being born again. Of course, it's a spiritual thing. This is a spiritual truth. And he's talking to him about this. Nicodemus doesn't understand this. And Nicodemus takes Jesus way too literally, doesn't he? He thinks that Jesus is saying that a grown man, you know, such as himself, such as Nicodemus, has to somehow go back inside his mother's womb and be physically born again. Now, is that what Jesus means? No, of course not. That's absurd. That's obviously not what Jesus means. That's obviously... He's obviously completely missing the spiritual truth of what Jesus is talking about, about being born again spiritually through your faith. Nicodemus doesn't understand that. That's a prime example, perfect example of taking Jesus to literally. Is that what I'm doing here in Mark 10, 6? No, of course not. Think about what Jesus said in Mark 10, 6. Think about what I'm saying it means, what I think it has to mean, and how there's no other 
I'm, there's no other way really to interpret it unless you just want to dismiss it and say, oh, you can't mean that, but you don't have your own interpretation. That is nowhere near equivalent at all to Nicodemus thinking that to be born again means an adult has to go back into his mother's womb and be physically birthed a second time. These are obviously not equivalent things. And so when we see in the Bible itself, how, Je how people take Jesus too literally, how ridiculous it is, you know, how ridiculous people are being, how stupid their interpretations are when they take Jesus too literally, like that Nicodemus example. And you think about, take that and apply it to, you know, situations such as this one where someone will accuse you of being too literal. Oh, you're taking Jesus too literally. And you go, is that actually what I'm doing? Now, if you're interpreting something that Jesus said in a completely absurd, ridiculous way that doesn't make any sense, and someone says you're taking Jesus too literally, then you probably are taking Jesus too literally. You probably are being a lot more similar to Nicodemus. But is this interpretation of Mark 10, 6, taking Jesus too literally, is that anywhere close to the way Nicodemus was taking Jesus when Jesus was explaining the concept of the new birth? No, of course not. They're, they're not equivalent at all. So this accusation of taking Jesus too literally doesn't work. When we look at examples of how people take Jesus too literally, it's nothing like what I'm saying here from John 10 or uh, Mark 10, 6. And again, when people say this, they are simply trying to dismiss what you're saying when you interpret this verse in this way. They do not have their own interpretation. Again, to go to the example of William and Craig, he did not offer his own interpretation. He just mocked the creationist interpretation, scoffed at it, laughed at, oh, you can't take Jesus that literally, and then never gave his own interpretation. And so that is, those are all the ways I've seen people try to get out of what Jesus says here. They all fail. No one can come up with an alternative interpretation that makes any sense. And so what I'm left with, just being an honest person, reading my Bible, trying to understand what Jesus is saying, the only conclusion I can come to and unless somebody offers me a better interpretation, I'm waiting to hear one. The only conclusion I can come to doing exegesis, drawing my beliefs, drawing the ideas out of what the text actually says, is that Adam and Eve were created at the beginning of creation. Exactly what the young earth creationist teaching says, and that Jesus openly preached this. Clearly then, Jesus is a young earth creationist. Jesus believed in that doctrine. He proclaimed, he preached something that is only compatible with that doctrine. No other view of creation is compatible with this verse. And so, yes, Jesus is a young earth creationist. And I'm not just trying to proof text this to just say, oh, because of this one verse, that proves it. Although I do think this one verse does prove it. Okay. The reason I I, I, like I said, I just brought this up in the last episode and I thought, oh, I'll spend some time going into that in more detail and articulating that and I just wanted to do a deep dive to explain why I think it has to mean that and all the other attempts to interpret it differently or explain it in a way do not work. And I just wanted to really, really give an in-depth explanation of that because I want people to really be confronted with this and have to wrestle with this. If you're not a young earth creationist, I want you to really think about how you understand this verse and allow this verse to you know, convict you and be a Berean, search the scriptures and see if what this says makes sense is compatible with the rest of the Bible. And I think if you do that and you do so in an honest way where you want to let the Bible, let God's word speak to you, instead of you try to take God's word and force it to be compatible within a secular scientific paradigm, then I think you will come to the same conclusion I've come to. Um, now, again, there are many other, there's lots of verses in the New Testament that I think are really only compatible or at least make the most sense in light of young earth creationism. And these are passages that will, I'm sure come up in later episodes because you know this is a topic I'm going to hit on from time to time. And we didn't go over any of those passages today because I just wanted to focus on this one, do a deep dive on this passage in Mark 10. But I'll leave a link to a video from the show, Let's Talk Creation by Paul Garner and Todd Wood, where they, have an episode of their show where they go into they talk about this verse and then they go into other passages in the new testament there, there's other stuff from the gospels there's stuff from you know paul's epistles and second peter there's it's it's all over the place in the new testament so yeah you know creation it, it's important it affects all sorts of other doctrines in your theology it 
it's not just in Genesis, it's in other places in the Old Testament, like Exodus 20, it's a, a, a huge chapter that pertains to this topic, and it's throughout the New Testament, it's throughout the Gospels, we see it very clearly right here in Mark 10, as I've been explaining in this episode, and so um, this is something that I wanted to talk about and confront people with who, who do not believe this doctrine, and so, so yeah, that's basically all I had to say. Jesus is a young earth creationist. The way that Genesis plainly states that this is the way God created the world and life on earth. That is how he did it. Jesus himself affirms that and articulates a view of creation that is only compatible with young earth, creations, young earth creationism. So clearly Jesus himself, God himself in the flesh is a young earth creationist. So therefore we know that young earth creationism is true because God cannot lie. And so that's all I have to say in this episode. If you, uh, obviously, if you disagree, feel free to express yourself. If you're watching this on YouTube, you know, if you're going to disagree, I ask you at least have enough respect for yourself if you're going to leave a comment disagreeing with me to explain why you think I'm wrong and not simply insult me and tell me that I'm wrong without being able to explain why. Go ahead, please offer a different interpretation. I'd love to read it and think and uh, see what I think of it. Uh, if you're just listening to this on a, on a podcast app or whatever, um, you can reach me, you can write to me at how to be like Jesus at yahoo.com if you want to email me for whatever reason. Uh, how to be like Jesus at yahoo.com. And then I also, uh, I'm on TikTok. I make uh, videos of various theological uh, kinds of topics on TikTok. At Jason Twin Dad is my uh, handle on TikTok. And then I, I have other, uh, there's a uh, Instagram and a Twitter, Instagram and Twitter accounts for how to be like Jesus. I'm not entirely sure what the handles for them are off the top of my head. But anyway, yeah, so that's, that's it for this episode. Uh, thank you for everyone for tuning in. And I'll be back in a couple of days with another episode teaching you how to be like Jesus on some different topic, don't worry, we won't talk about creationism again for, for a while, for those of you who disagree and are, are not interested in that topic or whatever. But hey, everybody, thanks for tuning in, and I'll see you next time, and God bless.